Good morning and welcome. It is Wednesday, the 24th of February. I'm Todd Brinker. This is Back from the Brink. Erin will be joining us momentarily, as she does. I believe this is episode 205. Let me double check that. Yes, 205. Episode 205. Happy hump day to you all. It is Wednesday. Yes, we have gotten through the front part of the week. We're on the backside now, baby. So, um, as we left, I was bemoaning my my beloved Lakers and their play of late. They play the Utah Jazz tonight. Now, Utah is number one in the West, and the Lakers are sitting at number three in the West and have lost three in a row. And uh, as a fan, I am concerned. You know, we've just not been playing particularly well. Um you know, I know that uh, he's been defensive about it, but watching LeBron, he just seems a little tired. His passes, I mean, he, he had, you know, five turnovers in the game and several of them at critical junctures were just bad passes, trying to thread a needle where it wasn't, there was no opening there, you know. Um, and uh, and on offense, he, he looked like he'd come down and, you know, he's kind of running the offense and he would pass the ball off to somebody and they'd pass it to somebody else and pass it to somebody else and the ball would come back to LeBron and LeBron would just have this look on his face like, well, damn it, I really was trying to get it to one of you guys. All right, I'll shoot. And he'd just shoot from there and take these long threes and most of them were, you know, coming up a little short because he was just, he just looked a little winded, you know, he just looked tired. Um, so hopefully he's he's rested and ready to go. You know, I mean, maybe he was just not feeling well. Maybe he's fighting off a little bit of a cold or something. It's hard to say. Um or maybe it's just my imagination, and that's just the the way the the, the ball bounces, you know, um, uh, you know. But uh, some of the teams that we have lost to are teams that we clearly should have beaten. Oh, excuse me. Um, you know, the eleven and eighteen Washington Wizards are not a team that should have been pushing us to the, you know, to overtime, and yet there we were. Um, so. You know, I mean, granted, it's not the same team without Anthony Davis in there. And, you know, he will be back eventually, but we want to make sure he's healthy. Uh, we do miss Dennis Schroeder a lot. And um, rumor has it he might be back this week. So we'll see what happens there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some key people aren't in the aren't in the games. Um, you know, but uh, I've got to say that, um, you know, one of my favorites uh Kyle Kuzma has been playing better and and stepping up, but it doesn't. I don't feel like he's been utilized quite the way that he could be. But maybe the team doesn't quite have trust in him because he hasn't been consistent enough to earn that trust over time, you know. And uh, and uh, Alex Caruso, um, you know, tenacious defense. Um, but I mean, we put a game in his hands at the end to, to make a three-pointer, and he stepped over the line. He was a two-pointer, and then he missed the shot anyway with seconds to go. He's not the guy you necessarily want taking that last shot, if you can help it, you know? Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it just didn't work out. What can I say? Didn't work out. So hopefully um, they will uh, get into a groove and, and get, some, get a few more wins under their belt uh, while those guys are out. And that way they can they can continue to rest and recuperate, and the team will not sink further down into the standings. Um, 
one can hope as a fan. You know, I hope, I hope, I hope. Um, so it's interesting. There has been uh, some conversations about uh, Joe Manchin, who is a, um, I think, isn't he the one who is a, uh, uh, he's, he, well, essentially, in fact, some have referred to him as the virtual presidency of Joe Manchin because he is somebody who, who doesn't necessarily vote the party line with the Democrats, and they need every vote in order to get things done. And so Joe Manchin has come back on a few of uh, Biden's nominees and said, I'm not so sure. Uh, one of them he hasn't made a comment on, and I know a lot of Republicans have issues with, is Javier Becerra the uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services nominee. And so, um, you know, if Manchin comes back and says, I'm not sure I'm going to support that guy, then in order to get him passed, to get him approved, that means you're going to have to swing a Republican. And Becerra has a uh, a background of being pretty liberal. And, uh, and in fact, several people have said they don't believe he has any experience whatsoever to be the Health and Human Services head. And so why on earth are we putting him in there? Uh, uh, but Manchin has specifically talked about uh, Becerra as somebody he hasn't decided on. Another one is Vivek H. Murthy's nomination as the next Surgeon, Surgeon General, uh, and he hasn't decided on that one either. So, you know, I mean, it's... Uh, but he's, you know, you're wielding a lot of power when you're the guy who who they have to... Uh, you know, they the one that's holding out of the of the 50 votes, right? And so, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what uh, how it works out. I know that Manchin has flat out said that the Office of Management and Budget nominee Tandon he won't support. And so, um, uh, if he's not going to support her, that means they have to recruit at least one Republican. And the Republicans are basically right now all holding rank and saying, "Nope, we're not going to vote for her." So it looks like she maybe won't be on his cabinet. Um, of course, you've got to wonder how much Manchin. You know, Manchin will wield his power as that singular vote that's breaking the Democratic block of voters approving people. But at some point, he's also going to get a lot of pressure to stop doing that. So, you know, he's got to do some calculations and say, how much of my political capital am I going to spend getting that done? Here's Erin. Let's see what her thoughts are. Let's invite her into the conversation. Hello. Hi. So I was just talking about the uh, what has been referred to as the uh, the virtual presidency of Joe Manchin, in that he's the guy who seems to be willing to vote against the Democratic block, and if they don't get his vote, then they have to get a Republican, and uh, and he's come out and said that he will not support Tandon for head of the Office of Management and Budget. Good. And well. so far, none of the Republicans have been willing to cross the aisle to do that, and so. He seems to be putting a virtual block on her, and rumor has it that he's also going to do the same thing with Becerra, although he's not spoken out about that publicly yet. Because um, there's a lot of concerns amongst Republicans that uh, Javier Becerra is not only a, a, an a, a extreme uh, liberal, but that he also has absolutely no experience and no, no reason to be running HHS. So we'll see what happens there. So, well... You know, as far as you know, they're calling him. They're calling Mansion the the de facto or the silent president. Well, no, he's 
you know, we don't we don't have a dictator in chief. We have a, a an executive who works in a system, and that system includes Congress. That's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, I've I've seen that uh, um, they're calling it the, the the virtual presidency. I think Politico has done that, and and National Review, and these are admittedly very, um, or at least National Review is a very um, uh, conservative, uh, you know, uh, website and 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 uh, magazine. I don't know. Are they still publish a magazine. I don't know if they actually uh, still no, publish I think on paper. Only I think yeah, they're only Politico's virtual now. Politico is definitely not right wing. Right. Yeah, that's why I, I quickly said, you know, NR is. But anyway, I think everybody's recognizing that, that uh, uh, as well as I'm sure he does, that Manchin is, is wielding a fair amount of power as being the one who's willing to say to the to the rest of the of the Democratic um, uh, voting bloc, hey, I'm not going to just go lockstep with you. I'm going to make my own mind up. And some of these people are, are great and some of them I don't think should be in that position. And so they can't just necessarily count on, you know, their 50 votes to lo- go lockstep, which is a good thing. They shouldn't be able to absolutely count on their, their votes to go lockstep. And neither should the Republicans. You know, it's it's there are individuals there who are representing states and that's what they should be doing. So, yes. So we'll yes. see. That said, I would be less likely as a senator to block somebody from being on a cabinet because my feeling is is the president should be able to pick the people he wants around him to advise him so unless they've done something really really bad um i would say you know it's up to the president if this is your advisor's fine you you live and die by those choices right these are the people you want around you see how it works out for you you know i'd be willing to give them some rope there to hang themselves as a you know regardless of which party and which president is there you know, because they're picking their advisors, essentially. Um, well, now I know there's. He, oh, go ahead. No, and I, I agree with you, with the exception of the OMB, because the OMB is supposed to be a nonpartisan office. Right, and Tandon very, very vocally uh, has has you know actually used like foul language in describing sitting senators. You know, yes. I mean, very unprofessional behavior. Uh, because she's been a very, very staunch liberal political uh, 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 operator, and and yes. so that she's she's clearly not a a nonpartisan person, you know, and uh, and so that yeah, I can understand having some concerns there, and I agree with you in that particular position. It's supposed to be nonpartisan, but you know, I mean, the people who are who are you know, your labor secretary who's going to talk to you and help you set up, you know, information about labor or, uh, you know, the, um, uh, you know, I mean, even HHS, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not a necessarily a huge fan of Becerra, but, you know, that's the person who's going to advise the president and in that area. And if that's who he wants, fine, let him do that. And then, you know, you can always go back and fight legislation when they try to push it through. Um there's staff there who knows what who know what they're doing there's professional staff who know what they're doing right right yeah yeah in fact i i'm uh you know if you know how to manage people and you know how to to organize your thoughts you know and and work with a, a group if that group has the institutional knowledge you don't necessarily have to have it especially at the high end of some of these things but that's true of a lot of businesses you know you can yeah. point to a lot of ceos and say well you know 
they don't know how to do the job of people who work for them, but they don't have to. That's not their job. Their job is to run the company. It's a different skill set. You yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. It is a different skill set. So Yeah. Um I you know, I, I don't know the Ben Carson what was what was he? He was what did they put him wasn't, as? Maybe it was Wasn't he uh, HHS? HHS? He was HUD. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um housing and urban development, which why Right, he, right make him you know something having to do with medicine i don't know because the man was a world-renowned pediatric neurosurgeon but you know whatever so i i'm kind of in the and i kind of agree with you these are political positions um yeah first cabinet you know whatever it's his choice yeah, that's kind of my feeling. I mean, if I was a center, senator, I would say, you know, I mean, you make the picks you want. And, and unless there's like a, a major reason, like in this case, I think Tandon for OMB is just the wrong choice, um, uh, you know, for the most part. And, and some of her behavior. Apparently, she's also lost her temper in public and like pushed and shoved people. So she just she oh, doesn't appear charming. to me to be. Yeah, she doesn't appear to me to be a, um, and I'm basing this off of uh, listening to a podcast. They were talking about some of her behavior and explaining why they didn't think she should be in the position. So, and you know, to full disclosure, it was a National Review podcast. So there's obviously going to be some some, um, you know, conservative bias towards her or against her anyway. Um, but they just, you know, they they pointed out several things they thought about her behavior that just said she's not a very professional person and they didn't feel like she should be in that position given what that position is. And so, um, and they made a convincing case, you know, in, in terms of just her general overall, overall demeanor. Um, but you know, lacking that, you know, fine, pick who you want, pick who you want, you know, um, uh, for the most part. So, yeah, they've got uh, Marsha Fudge is the nominee for HUD, and she has yet to be uh, approved. Um, I don't know anything about her. I've never heard that name before. Yeah, I'm just doing a HUD. Let's see. Oops. Whoop. Gosh, I hate it when web pages bounce around. Let's see. She's a Cleveland area congresswoman and former chair of the Congressional Black Cong- uh, Caucus, and that's about all it says. Uh, she was well, approved by the banking house, the banking, housing, and urban affairs committee on February fourth, and will be sent to the full Senate. So, so she's part of the way there. Okay, you know, I mean, I think if she's got any experience dealing with the needs of people who live in public housing, um, then she's a good choice. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, and I don't, again, I don't know anything about her, but I do know that that Cleveland, like any other urban area, has some of its economic challenges. I'm sure they have. Um, uh, they have public housing there. So, you know, perhaps she's dealt with, with the needs of the people who live in public housing. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know her background, but, uh, but again, lacking anything outstanding, I'd say, fine, let him pick who he wants. These are him picking his advisors. Right. Uh, and I'd rather they do it through this mesh method than, than sort of the backdoor kitchen cabinets that some presidents have done. You know, it's like, go ahead, get people approved. You know, I yeah. mean, what is Pete, Buttigieg know about Department of Transportation, but you know that he's already been Nothing. approved. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. Not, and not, he's already been approved. Yes. So, you know, but if he can be a leader and talk to the people who work there and 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 you know set a direction for him, then for them, then you know, go ahead, go ahead. Like you. you said, it's you know, it's 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 political. It's a political appointment, and it's a, it's somebody there to advise the president, and he, you know, he. Or she at some point, um, 
has every right to to pick people that they trust um you know even if all they have to do is take the report that all the people who work there put together and carry it over and say here's what my people say (laughs) which i'm sure that's all they do anyway yeah you know yeah i mean it's a map all of those are massive federal departments yeah Although I suspect that there's a fair amount of, um, you know, how good are you at getting the president's ear? Does he like talking with you? Because if, if a, you know, there's a, as much as you hate to, to admit it, a lot of it's personality, you know. And if, if, yeah. you, if it's something, if you happen to be the, the, the secretary for an area that, um, that has the president's focus and he likes you, then you can have an effect on policy because you're personable or you can make a good case and you can get his ear. Um, otherwise it's, you know, he's busy. And so he's not going to spend hours chatting with you about, you know, insert your favorite issue right here. So, so, and for a lot of these people, it's, you know, they're like stepping stone positions or getting an op, you know, like, like, um, you know, we talked about Buttigieg. Well, this is an opportunity for him to get some, you know, uh, experience at the federal level so that he can maybe make another run for president later on. Um, well, why doesn't you know. he start with, I don't know, governor? I mean, he went from mayor, so, Mayor Pete, you know. Yeah. Uh, Secretary of Transportation. Very, well, I know, but um, I don't know. I, I The hubris of somebody who goes from being the mayor of a smallish city to yeah. running for president. It's like, dude, really? Haven't you skipped a few steps? Why would we it's, trust you? It's pretty funny, you know, because there's like almost 55,000 employees in the Department of Transportation. And I'm like... Okay, so now you have almost as many employees as you had voters in the city that you used to run. Right? Right? <laughs> Good luck, buddy. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he may be great. We just don't know, you know, but it is you're right. Obviously, it, he's no dummy and he served our country in the military. And and all of that. This is not about yeah. him per se. This is just about the hubris of going from a mayor to I mean, if you're the mayor of New York or Los Angeles, okay, maybe, but not, yeah. I don't even remember Indiana. Where was he the mayor of? I don't even remember. Something in Indiana. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now So because I was curious about the population. So, boot edge edge. Paul, Peter Paul Montgomery boot edge edge. Um, South Bend. South Bend. Thank you. I didn't remember. Yes. South Bend, a uh, population of 318,000. So his department is is quite a bit smaller than the city. So, um, yeah. Okay. But. <laughs> you know, South Bend has its own flag. It's yellow and white with a blue squiggly stripe in the middle. You know what the squiggly stripe really? is? The Bend. No. <laughs> it's oh, the Bend. That's cute. There must be a yeah. river that goes through it, right? Yeah, I'm sure that's it, and it's the South Bend. It's actually the Southern Point. I can see a picture on the map. The river comes through from the north, uh, west, and then flows to the east. It's flowing out of um, uh, what is that? Lake Michigan. Sure. Yeah. Sounds about right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've got a map with literally no identifiers on it at all. I hate that. Well, you know, that's it's like useless. you draw. Draw me a picture, and it's like I'm supposed to guess what all these places are. <laughs> Wonderful. If I knew, I wouldn't need a map. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
Yes, it is Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan. Uh, they're at the very tail end of it. Like Gary, Indiana is, you know, maybe 25 miles from Chicago. It's probably suburbs the whole way. And South Bend is um, maybe 50 miles east of there. And so there is the, uh, the what is the name of that? I'm curious. What's the name? Oh, there it is. It's the St. Joseph River. South Bend is at the south bend of the of the St. Joseph River as it as it flows. Uh, and I said I, I had it flowing backwards. It flows. I, I'm pretty sure it flows into Lake Michigan and not away from Lake Michigan. Yeah, well, that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. So it's a tributary so, to Lake Michigan. Yep, feeds into Lake Michigan and uh, looks like it. Uh, well, there's a place called Three Rivers, which they're stealing. I've been to Three Rivers. It's in Pennsylvania. Don't call it. <laughs> Don't try to steal that. Yeah, but it, it looks like it feeds into uh, from from actually up in, in Michigan itself. There's where the, the, the roots of the river are, and then they feed back into the southern part of Lake Michigan. So, cool. One of the Great Lakes. You know, they're called that because they're great. So my cat is talking to me. I don't know if this is if that sound is being I heard, picked up. I heard one little mer. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Pharaoh. How's it going, buddy? How you doing? <laughs> he looked at the. He looked at my phone and went, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> kind of like heard his name there, and like, "Hey, wait, what? what where's that?" Yeah. Well, I don't want to confuse him too much, but you know, I know he's 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 getting. He's trying to get used to the idea that that he's an only cat for now, and, and that's you know. Yes. Quite a shock to the system. So, how are you doing? I know that's been, you know, that it's it, you. You move on and you carry on and you do your work and your day goes by. But uh, you know, you used to have a pretty persistent lap warmer, and I imagine yeah, he's been know, a little clingy. I'm not gonna lie; it's been rough. Um, yeah. Uh, and you know, she wasn't officially like an emotional support animal, but she was an emotional support animal, right? So, right. You know. I, yeah, you I, weren't I, trying I, to get a better seat on the on the airplane by carrying her around, but but nonetheless, no. yeah. No, yeah. but she, uh, you know, she was. If I was sitting, she was in my lap, and if I were, or often at my feet, and yeah. um, he has. Yeah, been I know. Any time I came feet. over, she was pretty pretty much ever present in your in your lap. Uh, you know, I mean, if there was too many people over, like most cats, they kind of like slinked away until they kind of knew it was safe to be out and about but uh uh if it was just me she would like come over to me acknowledge that i was there let me scratch her behind the ear and then say okay i'm going back to mama now you know <laughs> that was, it's like okay you're all right see ya <laughs> she was you, know, you got the cat. sense that if she was speaking in english she would have come over let me like pet her kind of acknowledge that i'm there and then essentially say not the mama and turn around and walk back <laughs> yeah. like, just just checking to see if there were two of them nope you are not the mama not the mama oh my gosh yeah. i'm remembering that show was it dinosaurs not the mama yeah i don't remember where it came from i just remembered the, yeah, it was from the a, line a, from a, it was supposed to be like the honeymooners but it was dinosaurs yeah 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 i remember that i vaguely remember that yeah so it was really a stupid show, but that that uh, that was the phrase. That was the catchphrase because that was the right. '80s, right? Everything had to have a stupid catchphrase. Yeah, 
because we wouldn't do something stupid like that now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now we just call it a... We still have stupid catchphrases. We just call them memes now. There you go. (laughs) So, Ghislaine Maxwell. Remember her? Oh, yeah. Um, She's so special. Yes. She is now... um, uh, She's unhappy in prison. She doesn't like it. Good. That's what prison's for. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, she is she is trying to her her attorneys are trying to fight the perception that she's a flight risk perception. She disappeared and it took forever to find her. It's not a perception. It's reality. Yeah, so that's not they're... a perception. <laughs> that's a deception. Exactly. You got your wrong shin. <laughs> Just because I disappeared before doesn't mean I'll do it again. Uh, yes, it does. Um... Ish. <laughs> So, um, so she's trying to fight the person. Her attorneys are trying to fight the perception that she's a flight risk, um, and they they have uh, they've suggested two conditions uh, for for her release um, uh, from the Brooklyn Metropolitan Detention Center. She'll give up her French and British British citizenship, meaning it would be harder for her to flee to those countries, and she'll place right. her assets and those of her husband into an account that would be monitored by formal fed, former federal officials. Those funds don't include about $7.6 million for her legal fees, as well as $450,000 for her husband's living costs. Baloney. Bal- I mean, to de- and this is the quote from the lawyer. To deny Ms. Maxwell, Ms. Ms. Maxwell bail when such extraordinary and restrictive conditions are available would be a miscarriage of justice. No, no, it wouldn't. She raped girls. She raped girls and helped in trafficking of girls, and then she disappeared to avoid arrest. No, she needs to keep her butt in jail. You know what I took out of all that? She's married? <laughs> There's yeah, somebody right. who's actually married to that woman? Yeah. I thought I thought she was uh, Jeffrey Epstein's, like... She was. Muse. What, who, what, she's married? Somebody stayed married to her? Well, I mean, not not former husband or ex-husband. It's like, really? Yes. Yes. Well, apparently he's, this guy uh, I got to meet. Apparently it's an open it's an open situation. Ah. Ah. So it's a marriage. It's not really a marriage. I, I don't know. I don't know anything <laughs> about her marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm with you. I mean, you know, she bad. She run. She in jail. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, she could see up to 35 years behind bars if she's convicted in her trial in July. Um, yeah, they can say time served. It'll be, you know, 33.7. <laughs> I'm good with so, that. So, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, there are some people who belong there. I think she's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, I mean, she's innocent till proven guilty, but I think so. There's a reason that sometimes they don't let people go on their, you know, while they're awaiting trial. Seems like this is a good reason. So. Yeah. All right. Know. Any other stories that are tickling your fancy? Um, let's see. What else do we have going on? Um, Oh, I see you've sent me. Oh, that's not you. Never mind. That was a link sent by somebody else. We were talking about camping and stuff the other day or earlier in the in the radio show or about getting emergency gear, not so much camping. 
um, and uh, and there's a few uh, YouTube channels that I have been mesmerized by. Not that I'm actually going to go do anything, but I thought it was interesting. Like um, one of them is a guy who uh, has he shows you how to put together a uh, come on open up 15 pound um, backpack now 15 pounds is heavy for uh, most through packers but for somebody starting out it's not that much and it's 15 pounds 350 dollars oh wow and, and it Wait. actually includes a 30 dollar uh three pound walmart tent in it and he explains yeah i know but he but he says you know it's affordable it's, you know, a $40 backpack from Amazon. And he says, it's the one that I got when I first started doing this. And uh, and I actually kind of thought it was interesting. Uh, Gear Test Outdoors is the name of the of the series. So you can go search for Gear Test Outdoors on YouTube. And uh, if you want to watch him, I sent you a link earlier. Um, and I find him just mesmerizing in terms of how to put together a pack together. Now, he has a nine-pound base weight pack for $650. So if you're seriously thinking about going out pack, about backpacking, you can get the same stuff and save uh, three more pounds of weight, which, you know, people who do that kind of thing, they're fanatical about an ounce here and an ounce there. But when you think about it, 325 bucks, and you can have a fully functioning backpack that you can pick up and go hiking with if you need to, but also has a tent and sleeping material and a camp stove and and water filtration. And, I mean, it's like it's pretty stunning what you can get in a pack for three hundred twenty five dollars. Huh. So I'm on his website. And uh, yeah, this is a pretty cool website. Yeah, you know? I like him and a it's lot. Intimidating. It's intimidating when you think about all the gear, like choices that you have. Yeah, well, and he kind of narrows it down, and and usually then in the notes underneath, he'll give you a list of here's the things that I talked about, and here's a couple optional things. So if you wanted to go, you know, uh, spend a little more, here's what you could pick up for that, you know, and uh, or you know you're willing to take a little more weight or you want a little less weight, and I think you know it's it's kind of cool actually, and and you can use that sort of as the basis for putting together an emergency kit that you could literally pick up and actually be able to carry as opposed to, you know, the first time I put together my emergency kit, I bought a surplus uh, army backpack and then filled it with stuff. And when I went to pick it up, it was 70 pounds. Ouch. And I'm like, okay, I can lug that to the car and throw it in the back, but then I'm not hiking with that sucker, you know, whereas this, <laughs> this kit, yeah, I, I could pick up and go, you know? I could pick up and go. My other favorite one, the channel that I subscribe to, and I only subscribe to two channels. I subscribe to his. I mean, I'm not a huge YouTuber, you know, and if I am, I go and search for what I want and watch it. I don't usually subscribe, but I like to see, uh, you know, I wanted to see everything he did, so I went ahead and subscribed so I could see all of his stuff. The other one is one called Homemade Wonderlust, and the young lady, Dixie, who does the videos, and she's got a lot of them. She has through-hiked every major trail in, the, in North America. And, uh, you know, she's done uh, Pacific Coast Trail, Continental Divide Trail, Appalachian Trail. Uh, and she shows you the gear that she had for each of those. She talks about she's got gear videos talking about, you know, how to pick your, your best sleeping pads. How to Now, I don't think she does as good a job uh, of saying here's a I mean, she has a video like affordable stuff or, you know, how how it works. You know, I don't think she does as good a job in terms of like putting together a, an affordable pack. But that said, um, she does a whole bunch of talking about just how to do it, 
so that if you wanted to go out and start hiking and camping, you could do it basically by watching her videos and, and making sure you had the right gear and, and, and you know, just learning a little bit about this. And I think you could get by. I thought it was kind of cool. So she's a load of fun. Um, and and uh, and she's got that southern accent, which is cute. Uh, but home, that one's homemade wanderlust. Cool. Uh, Very so cool. If you've if you've ever dreamed of doing that hiking, um, they do that. And I put together a um, a uh, I updated my my emergency bug out package. You know my my emergency kit uh, with a lightweight version. I had had parts of it, but I had finally I used his. Three hundred and twenty-five dollar uh, list as a way to sort of put it together, and I had a lot of it, so I didn't spend near, near three hundred twenty-five dollars. But because I had a lot of it already, it was just not put together that way. And so I saw how he did it and how he packed it, and that then made a big difference in how you could put together your kit. And suddenly now my seventy-five pound bag, I pick it up, and mine's about uh, uh, twelve or thirteen pounds. But it's like, yeah, I could go hiking with that. That was kind of awesome. cool. You know, now, am I going to go hiking? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I have gone pack, uh, uh, camping with uh, one of my daughters, and she likes to do that stuff. So, you know, she's down on a weekend. We might go out and do something like that. We'd see. Maybe. But um, but uh, whether we do or not, it's, you know, it's an emergency kit that I can carry to my car without throwing my back out. So. You know, that's a positive. Um, so, yeah, and it's one of those things you should update your, you know, if you put together an emergency kit, don't put it together and then forget about it. Every once in a while, go through it, verify that everything's still there, that you know what's there, that you know where it is, that you can get to it. It's not had a bunch of stuff piled on top of it, um, you know, because that's the other thing is like having it's great, knowing where it is and how you can get to it. If the emergency actually happens, that would be good, too. <laughs> So, so. Um, uh, have you heard about the this endangered ferret su- being successfully cloned? <laughs> no. Yeah, so scientists have cloned the first U.S. endangered species. It's a black-footed ferret, and it was uh, duplicated from the genes of an animal that died over 30 years ago. Wow. So the, they've named her Elizabeth Ann. And she was uh, born December 10th, and it was announced uh, last Bitsy. week. Pardon? Bitsy. Bitsy. She's cute as a button. She really is. She's super cute. Um, uh, but, you know, she's she's a wild ferret. Um, uh, so you you might have been handling a black-footed ferret kit, and then, then they try to take your finger off the next day. So they're very much wild. Um, they're wild ferrets. They're not domesticated ferrets. Um, Elizabeth Ann was born and is being raised at a Fish and Wildlife Service Black-Footed Ferret Breeding Facility in Fort Collins, Colorado. She's a genetic copy of a ferret named Wilma, who died in 1988 and whose remains were frozen in the early days of DNA technology. Um, Cloning eventually could bring back extinct species, such as the passenger pigeon. For now, the technique holds promise for helping endangered species, including a Mongolian wild horse that was cloned last summer and born at a Texas facility. Hmm. Crazy. Right? I have, I have mixed emotions about that. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting and, you know, but 
I don't know. I mean, it's one thing if it's if it's uh, you know it's an animal that didn't adapt properly to the changing environment around it, and and then it went extinct. You know, or 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 it's an animal that was just they hunted the crap out of it and killed it, which is not necessarily the animal's fault. Um, yeah, I don't know because I, I you know where where where's the line drawn? You know, if they keep doing this and perfecting it, you know somebody's going to say, let's bring back a woolly mammoth because they've got parts of mammoths uh, that have been pulled out of the permafrost, and so they've got DNA. You know, somebody's going to do it. Or a saber-toothed tiger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got, you know, and, and, you know, dire wolves. I mean, they've got some of these animals that have been extinct for thousands of years, and they've got some DNA, and yeah, it's degraded somewhat because it's old, but it's been packed in ice. Um, you know, what does that mean? And And if they get really good at it so that they can pretty much clone... You know, anything that's walking around, you know somebody's going to clone human beings. And what does that mean to society? I, I just think there's a lot of emotion and and beliefs tied in with the science of this. And, and you know, we, before we go marching down that road and applauding bringing something back from extinction or or from the brink of extinction, that we maybe need to think about the longer term implications you know it's it's like hey um you know it's been tough on people working in grocery stores let's force all the grocery stores to give them extra pay and not think about what the repercussions might be except on a much bigger scale with bigger stakes yes yes apparently uh, for thirty-five to fifty thousand um, dollars, there's a company in Texas called Viagen that that clones pet cats. So you know, fluffy Thrilling. dies, and you can have fluffy cloned. Yeah. Hmm. The thing yeah. is, even if it's genetically identical to your pet, it's not your pet. It's a different animal with a different personality that's going to have different experiences and be raised differently. Yes, it's going to have the same genetic traits, but, you know, that's like saying that everybody who has identical twins that, you know, eh, if one of them dies, I'll just hang out with the other one. You know, it's not the same. Yeah. They're not the same person, um, even though they have the same genetics. So, so yeah, as, you know, as uh, someone who just lost my beloved kitty cat, I, I wouldn't want to clone her. There was only one of her, you know, and right. And I, yeah, I'm with you. I know. I know. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I mean, if you had a genetically identical cat, it would look the same, but it wouldn't behave the same. It's not the same cat. You know, that's not the cat that you, you know, spent years with and loved. It's it would be. And I, I have nothing against that cat. You know, if they were to clone a cat, I mean, it, it, it's a cat, you know, and, and it's, you know, Given a good home, it's probably going to be a lovable kitty cat, but it's not the same. And 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 pretending like it is, or trying to pitch it as you know, replace that that beloved pet is just false, just wrong. Yeah. That said, I don't know that I'm necessarily horribly opposed to the idea of doing this either. You know, um, I mean, quite frankly. I'm very intrigued by the idea of bringing back a woolly mammoth, but uh, no, I saw the but... movie where they bring back <laughs> a dinosaur and it didn't end well. Yeah, it didn't go well, did it? Um, but we're not talking about flying dinosaurs. We're talking about a big hairy elephant. That'd be cool. 
We could let him go in like Canada and let him just tromp around on the tundra up there. Um, <laughs> do, do you want to get a sloth and a saber-toothed tiger at the same time, and we can go for the whole uh, ice age? I don't think I want to. I, I don't want to breed things that might eat me. But you know, I guess I guess a, a, a woolly mammoth could trample me. But I live in the Southland. It'd be too hot. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting stuff. It's interesting technology, and you know, it's going to continue. We'll just see where it all plays out, and society's going to have to make laws and make adjustments to to deal with the new reality that that's something we can do. You know, you just so, hope that it goes that the pro that the progress in that science goes slow enough that the laws can kind of keep up with it, unlike the the laws around like. You know, a lot of technology where the technology goes so fast that the laws are like, huh? Well, our law says this is sort of like the law that we wrote in 1862 about the printing press. Um, You know, it was good enough for Gutenberg. We'll just apply it here. Yeah. (laughs) Which is what too often happens. Yeah. You know, that's that's, you know, I'm sorry. My my computer is not a typewriter, much less a Gutenberg printing press. So, (laughs) hey, um, have you seen on Hulu? Uh, the 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 movie Nomadland. No, I've seen. Well, I've seen the the like kind of promo trailers for, for it. it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I've it's uh, seen... Frances McDormand looking her absolute worst. Um, uh, but they're they're trying to make her look like a a uh, a transient person who's living out of her van, basically. I'm saying trying to make her. They are making her look like that, and so I mean she's not prettied up like she's going to an awards banquet or anything. Um. Uh, she's a phenomenal actress. This show, I watched the whole thing, was almost difficult to watch because of the loneliness and the and the way they filmed it was almost like a documentary. Like there's no there's no like music or background or anything. It's just it's very stark. Very there's a sense of loneliness through this whole thing, you know. And there's groups of people that she meets up with at different times in different places. But this is somebody who basically is just kind of. She she migrates around based on the weather and uh, and taking like holiday work in Amazon warehouses and uh, you know and she's basically after the death of her her uh, husband and I think her son uh, she just gives up and says okay fine I can't afford to do any of this stuff so I'm just gonna take this van and she kind of built it out and then she lived in the van and and drives around and. Uh, Wow, and she's offered. Depressing. She's, yeah, and she's offered a place to stay. Family members have offered, and she goes, "Nope, nope," and she'd rather be on her own, you know. Um, it, yeah, it's it is it's kind of a sad story, uh, but at the same time, there's a real resilience. But you, it makes you sort of aware that there's a lot of people out there who you would think are, hey, they're out camping, and it's like, no, that's that's where they live, you know. And some of them are doing it. I mean, they're all doing it by choice, but some of them are doing it because. They want the adventure. Others are just sort of have given up on society as it exists today and said, no, I'm, I just, I'm not going to play that game. I will live on the fringes and move from place to place when people don't want me here anymore. I'll live out of my van. Huh. Yeah, it's kind of a strange story. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the world is depressing enough without um, watching, deliberately watching something that's going to put me in a funk. Yeah, they they say economic anxiety is a major theme of the film. Um, one reviewer has said, and it speaks to both the promise and the lie of a uniquely American mythos. Which, yeah, I would say that's probably fair. 
Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things where it was interesting, it was intriguing to watch, but I don't know that I would recommend it because I didn't find it entertaining. I found it well, uncomfortable. The uh, the critics love it, and uh, of course they do, because <laughs> it's depressing. <laughs> yeah, well, and quite honestly, from from the perspective of her uh, in the role, I think Frances McDormand did another is another amazing role. I mean, she's she's a phenomenal actor, and I and I like almost everything I've seen her in. Um, and on one level, I liked this a lot, but I just don't see it as entertainment and particularly during a time when I think a lot of people have been sort of depressed with the lockdown oh COVID this doesn't do anything to make you feel good about anything (laughs) it really doesn't so um, yeah you know it's not a film I would recommend most people watch Uh, you know it's it's interesting but I I, yeah so they get 94% rating by Rotten Tomatoes I'm like meh I'm looking forward to that one the remake the the sequel I am yeah. too. It just looks fun with lots I of laugh. eggs from the first movie. I want to get outraged about uh, Eddie Murphy playing an old Jewish man sitting in a barbershop because that's cultural appropriation and it's wrong. Oh, no. You're just going to enjoy it. <laughs> I'm looking forward for a belly laugh. I've seen some uh, some clip uh, clips from it and uh, and and like the uh, preview that would have dropped in theaters if there were theaters for it to drop in. And I'm excited. Everybody is back except for, and I'm going to blank on her name, but the actress who played his mother has passed away. Um, everybody else is back. So all awesome. of the major characters are in the are, are back in the film. And um, uh, we, well, and they say everybody. Eric LaSalle was in the original film playing like the boyfriend that gets discarded when she finds out she has a prince. Oh yeah, that's um, right. He had the Jerry curl and was yeah, the yeah. Trouble. And apparently he's not back. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, wouldn't I mean? I guess they could still have a small part for him there if he wanted to come back or if they wanted him back. But apparently he didn't come back. So, uh, um, I can't but all the major I, characters, the you know, both his parents, King Joffrey, and uh, uh, you know, so I'm looking forward to it. So, Looking forward yes. to it. Yeah, apparently he's coming to America because he either thinks or does, we don't know for sure yet, that uh, he has a son in America and that that son could possibly be the new prince and heir to Zamunda. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I'm looking forward to. I, you know, I, I, I want to laugh. I want to laugh, too. So with that, so. we are completely out of time. We are. Let's look forward to our laughs. I'm Todd Brinker. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow.